Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. This is Holly. And Amy. And Kristen. We are joined by a very special guest again today, a functional medicine doctor that we have been wanting to chat with. And we knew all about her because Amy decided to take her health into her own hands in the last few years and started seeking out this kind of medical advice to really help her feel better and uh, and live better. And so I'm actually going to turn it over to Amy to tell you who is with us today and why we have her on the show. So Amy, take it away. All right. Well, hey guys. So I, you may have remembered, like, I think it was right. One of our very first podcasts and we started talking about what the health was one mm-hmm. of our, what the health episodes. I think I was literally it's going called. to my first appointment with um, you, Dr. Hillary that next day, because we ended it and I said, all right, well, here I go. You know, I'm going to go get, figure out what's wrong with my gut. So um, I'm sure if you've listened to us or listened to anyone remotely, you know, in our vein, you've heard about gut health and that was one of my issues. And, it, and, you know, I'm still working through a lot of things healing my gut, but that's what sent me to functional medicine. I wanted to get to the root cause. I wanted to find out, you know, what exactly is going on inside of my body. And my main symptom, I feel like was bloating. I just felt like I was always feeling bloated after I ate, even sometimes not after eating, but just feeling bigger. Then she I, would send me pictures. <laughs> She's like, I'm like, why? Because you know, I'm like, I'm working out. I didn't feel like I was eating bad foods, really. You know, I mean, ninety percent of my diet is pretty clean. So I really wanted to get to the root of it. So I went to Dr. Hillary at uh, Wilmington Functional Medicine. She's uh, been there. She's just here locally in Wilmington. So if you're listening and you're in Wilmington, she's just right on Wrightsville Avenue. And I have been working with her probably for what, like, ooh. A year at least now a little over maybe a little over yeah probably a little over a year and I have learned so much um about health wellness and just about myself and my body individually so um, we really wanted to have her on because she is going to tackle a topic that I think everybody's interested in which is gut health um so I'm going to let you take it away Dr. Hillary and just fill us in on all things gut how can we take care of it what can we do what's the deal (laughs) Okay, thank you so much. It's great to be here with you guys today. Um, I really appreciate it. I love what I do and I love the opportunity to talk about it all the time. Um, Sometimes, you know, too much. I could go all day. So I just want to talk about gut and I I think it's important to talk about gut because everyone has one and Mm -hmm. it affects everyone in, in different ways. And the symptoms of gut health are not the same for me as they are for Holly or for Amy or for my child, right? Or for Amy's child. And they're different across the board, just like a medication would affect each of us differently as well. The intention might be 
that it's going to do one thing, but it does something different in all of our bodies. And just keep in mind about this on a general level as we're speaking throughout this conversation is we all look somewhat different on the outside and we all look somewhat different on the inside too. We all have livers, we all have stomachs, we all have pancreas, but they are not the same shape or size or even necessarily anatomically placed exactly where they should be. And all of that matters. Mm. Can, okay. I, can I ask you a quick question about that? My dad told me that after, so he had some digestive issues, which a functional medicine doctor helped him eradicate. Um, and he said that his organs are shifted. I guess some of his like digestive organs are shifted a bit. Like they're not like where you think they exactly are. So I didn't even know that was a thing, Dr. Hillary. So, yeah. 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 And so it's not, so having a slight shift is fairly common based on a lifestyle. So for example, like, for example, my grandfather worked in the open hearth of a steel mill, right? Yes. So that's a pretty physical job and a lot of time spent bending over and a lot of lifting of heavy things. So when that's your job, or if you're a coal miner, your body's going to have a particular way, if you're doing that job every day of compensating for that, right? That's a very heavy labor specific situation. Right now, for example, truck drivers, they're... Their physiology is based on sitting 18 hours a day, right? Yeah. Whereas yours is not, and mine is not. I do sit a lot at work, but I don't sit much when I'm out of work, right? And so, and we have the opportunity to exercise and to do yoga and to do the different things that we want to do to keep us healthy. But if you're an over-the-road trucker and you're like stopping in truck stops, your physiology is based a whole lot on what it is that you spend most of your time doing. The flip side of that is, please remember, every woman who's ever had a child has had has had her organs displaced. Mm -hmm. right. Complete. Dis so think about that. Just because you know, I mean, for everyone who's been pregnant, you know that that like from eight and a half months on, you're like, oh my god, you have to get out of me. You cannot <laughs> see. Like we can't go on like this. I can't get behind my steering wheel. I'm like, I'm running into things. It's terrible. And so you get that organ displacement, which is natural and normal, but that doesn't mean that it necessarily goes right back to where it was before, as I think every woman who's ever had a baby can attest to your body is never the same. Right. Mm -hmm. Totally. It just isn't. And so that's just an easy example, but there are other, other examples that can go into that as well. Um, some that have to do with malnutrition, some that have to do with overtraining or overexercising, especially for professional athletes where nutrients are involved, but it's not most of the population. Most of the population is more like, oh, I got pregnant. My organs don't feel the same. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about the things that affect gut health. In our culture and in my office, I look at things in a three-stage format. And that is, I look at your, your hormones your gut and your detox system. And the reason that I look at them like that is because one of our hormones is mostly responsible for allowing our gut to become dysbiotic. Dysbiosis, just for everyone who doesn't know, is an overgrowth of harmful bacteria in our gut, meaning that the microbiome has become imbalanced, right? So we need bacteria in our gut. We want it there. We want it there all the time. It has a job to do. We have commensal, we have beneficial, and then we have some that can be ooh, 
a little a little sketchy, right? We have those guys. There are some bacteria that are capable both of making vitamins and excreting nutrients, but if they get to be too high, too much of anything is a bad thing. We want everything in moderation and balance is the name of the game in the gut. Mm -hmm. Everything has to be balanced, okay? Some of the things that can cause a proliferative effect of dysbiotic bacteria are poor eating habits, antibiotic use, poor digestive function, and here's the big one, which is very important for women, and this is women's healthcare is my passion, truly, um, birth control pills. Mm -hmm. That's a whole separate subject. We're talking about the gut today, but I could go for five days straight on that we'll one. We'll have to have you back on yes, for that. We'll have you back on. Well, we have to because they they're prescribed in, in it feels like they they're being prescribed in record numbers now. Like the number of women on them on them long term, and then we are even looking. I mean, I even have a lot of questions about infertility, you know, and and how that might be affecting infertility long term. So we definitely want to come back and we'll have, have that conversation <laughs> because so many women have reached out to us and said, "Can we talk about the rising rates of infertility?" And we need to look at all the things that could impact that. Um, but anyway, yes, but go ahead. Yeah. So you were saying, <laughs> yeah, well, and so women taking birth control pills is one thing that affects their guts. The flip side of that, or actually a long-term metabolite is they're also urinating into our water sources. And so our water is full of hormones. Mm, that's Ugh. fun. Doesn't that sound great, ladies? We just talked about fluoride in our water and now we've got urine. <laughs> Who's thirsty? Yeah. Sign me up. So, so I think, I think it's really important to understand that there is a reckoning for everything in the body. Nothing goes unchecked and nothing acts on its own or stands on its own. Literally, if you take your liver out of your body, it's just a hunk of meat, but, but you can't do anything without it inside your body, your liver, you can't live without it. So the interrelated connectiveness of all of our systems together is really important to consider. So one hormone I really want to talk about today is not actually birth control. We'll save that for later is cortisol. Mm -hmm. Cortisol is your stress hormone. Cortisol is very necessary. It is there to protect us. It is there to work with us and for us. Sadly, our culture and our society keep us on a cortisol wheel, a hamster on a wheel where we are supposed to acquiesce to the needs of our culture, to the demands of our culture, and most of us have for a period of time because we don't necessarily know the other way, right? It takes us a while to say, hold on, this doesn't work for me, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't always feel empowered to do that at a particular age or until we reach a particular station in life. Some people, you know, 17-year-olds don't always feel empowered to say, I don't think I'm going to go to college, dad. Not my thing. A lot of times that's just not happening, right? So if you think about the amount of stress that we have in our lives, and I'm just going to paint a picture of a pretty common one, which, um, so I live in a two-parent household and we have two children. We're both professionals, we're both doctors, but we have two boys. We dividing all of the extracurricular activities for a period of nine years with two active parents I, I mean, there were days where we didn't even speak to each other because it were from work to dinner to running around trying to figure out who's going to pick up who we get home nine o'clock, 930 by the time practice is over. And then you have to be on your game the next day in the office with patients after you get your kids to school, all those things are happening. That's just parenthood. That didn't start then. That started for me 
And for most people, way back when you were in high school, how do you get what you want? How are you going to stay busy? How do you stay out of trouble? Your parents have you either working or really good grades or extracurriculars or a combination of all of those things, right? So you get into this grind. Your cortisol starts to really start to respond to that and you start to lose sleep. You start to lose sleep while you are still an adolescent. Your hormones, your body, your skeletal stature are not even mature yet, but you already learn that there's a grind to get to a certain place. That's society that tells us that and our culture. That's not even one particular person because our parents are victims of that too, right? They want us to be and have and do an, a level above whatever they did. I think most people would experience that. So we start to do that. And then once we get to college, we say, oh yeah, well, I know how to do this because I've already learned how to grind. I learned when I was 15 and you keep grinding and you keep grinding and you keep grinding. And that cortisol, I mean, it, it knows exactly what to do and it will keep you as a hamster on the wheel, but you crash and you burn and you crash and you burn. And so a perfect example of that is like when you go to college and then you come home for the holiday after finals and you get sick and your body's like, oh my gosh, I just, I, you pushed me through the coffee till 4am, all the presentations, the tests, and we drove home. Finally, you're sleeping like in your bed in your parents' house and you get strep throat and pneumonia, like one on top of the other. And it happened time and time again to myself and my friends in college, we'd be sick half of Christmas break, right? Because we're pushing so hard. If you go to professional school, I promise it's not any better than that because it's a lot more intense and it's a lot harder, right? And so there's a lot on the line. And when do we stop? That all of that cortisol rise causes inflammation in your gut. It causes your, your inflammation levels to rise, right? your cortisol levels to rise. And then what really happens is your thyroid can get compromised. If you have too much cortisol, thyroid hormone goes down. You become, you, you enter a catabolic state. Catabolic state means you're tearing things down inside your body. If you're tearing things down, your body starts literally using skeletal muscle and the lining of your gut to, to propel itself forward. So I've been doing that since I was 17. Easy. Most of us probably that, have. That, that's me like, in a nutshell. I'm like, I crashed and burned and died all over again. Like, just kept burning myself. Well, and then, and then you and then you become a mom. Yeah, and then you, you know, just, right. And, and then and then you sit. Here's the here's the another really damaging thing is that you just sit in judgment about yourself and self-loathing. Why can't I? Why can't I do this? I'm not doing any more than my neighbor. I'm not doing any more than my friends. Why can't I do it? Why is this happening to me? Why can't I keep up, right? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, maybe you're just not, maybe you're supposed to take a six month break. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. our culture does not afford that ability to anyone by any right. means. Maybe we should all go to Tibet and hike around for two months. We'd probably come back looking and feeling 10 years younger. Yep. Or Costa Rica is also, you know, an yeah. <laughs> and closer. Yeah, yeah. That but, cool. but you're right. I think culturally, um, I, I almost think that the cultural mindset when when you're not, maybe you're not feeling well, or maybe you're just incredibly stressed, our mindsets aren't, well, let me just put everything aside and like, get some mm -hmm. zen, you know, get some get like rest. Um, go outside, walk, yeah. do, you know, do those things. I think what we're programmed to do is like, well, I'll take a nap and then drink coffee and then I'm going to keep going again. And you just don't realize you're blowing out your body. You're just, 
you're right. it's like a, it, it only gets worse and I think that is a cultural shift we need to see happen in the West where we say, when I'm not well, the first thing I need to do before I medicate and do everything else is I need to, I need to actually step back and I need to rest. But can you imagine an employer? They don't even let new moms, (laughs) like you, you can't even keep your job if you don't, you for 12, you get like what max 12 weeks, most places, you know, for Mm -hmm. postpartum. And that's in a huge high stress high cortisol state in your life, no sleep, no nothing. Can you imagine just saying, Hey, I'm starting to feel tired. Can I just take a few months off? <laughs> it's my time for um, a sabbatical, yeah. you know, like, I mean, we, I mean, we would be a lot healthier and happier, but I just can't imagine. They'd be like, what you talking about? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, and we're not, you know, our, our, our culture and our society are certainly not by any means the most productive or the most healthy. And so I think that has to be looked at when you, you can look at health statistics for that, but a European work schedule is yep. far healthier for the, for the person. It's also yep. healthier for the economy long-term people yep. stay at their jobs longer. People have better job satisfaction um, and people have better, I mean, home lives. And so hey, you're, they, is the European model like that whole month of a holiday where they are just completely a month of the year gone, like not working? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and oftentimes it is the month of August. Some people don't take the whole month of August. Some people um, take two weeks in August and two weeks in, you know, March. And that, you know, they just, and in, I will say this, they just close their business. Yeah. They just yeah. close. They're not like, oh, someone's got to cover. What are we going to do now? How's that going right. to work? Right. Yeah. They just close. They're just, well, right. and then, then they'll be back. Well, and, and I will say just if you look at, I mean, I always think in, you know, in nature and creation, you see the principles set forth, right? And like, if you come from the Judeo-Christian perspective where God rested on the seventh day, I'm like, if God took a day of rest, what makes me think I don't need one? You know, what makes me think the rest shouldn't be prioritized into right. my my life and my schedule? And and also, I like as a business owner, I believe you you need to let your business rest too. That there's something about rest that is restorative. We know the soil needs to rest. Everything needs a rest, and yet it's not prioritized. It's not prioritized at all in Western culture, in my opinion. So it's you feel, guilty. you feel guilty for resting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, the guilt. Like oh, yeah. that's where the self-loathing. That's where the self-loathing yeah. comes in, right? You got that self-loathing, like I cannot go anymore. I need to, and I'll tell you honestly, there are days. There's usually one day every weekend I don't leave my house unless it's to walk my dogs, mm-hmm. because that's a safe place for me, and yeah. I need to make sure that my family's taken care of. I need to take care of myself. I need to not go out and see the world, and not go out into the traffic and the things and running around and all I want to do is hang out at home walk my dogs be in the sunshine I might work some I might do emails I might do personal bills I might just talk to my best friend on the phone for two hours I don't know yeah right what whatever it takes but I'm pretty good about that I was also raised by a really strong relaxer so I have a very good um role model for that Mm. yeah that's good yeah yeah okay so that happens when cortisol goes high, right? Thyroid hormone can go down. You end up in a catabolic state. The other thing that happens is your secretory IgA, which is really important because that's the basis of your immune system in your gut is going to be compromised or fail when you are sitting in a very high stress state. That is going to decrease the integrity of the lining of your gut that decreases the integrity of your microbiome. And that is going to lead to a leaky gut. Mm -hmm. 
So we're going to kind of talk about two different things today, and one is a leaky gut and one is pathogens. And so first I want to talk about review normal digestion. What does digestion feel like? What are the parts of your digestive tract? It starts in your mouth with your salivary amylase. When you put food in your mouth, um, like today I had an apple and peanut butter earlier. And mm -hmm. so my body says, oh, she's got an apple and peanut butter. And my brain tells my pancreas, tells my gallbladder and tells my stomach what's coming. How much protein, how much fat, how much fructose, how much fiber, how much do I need? How much and how much digestive enzymes need to come out of the pancreas? How much bile do I need for the fat that's in the peanut butter? The, the gallbladder has to squirt it, sweet, sweet, like this, right? <laughs> and then how much hydrochloric acid does my body need to make in order to break down, down properly? I don't need as much hydrochloric acid if I was eating meat, I would need more, but it's going to break down an apple a little bit more easily. That is literally a perfect system that all we do is consistently screw it up. <laughs> it's designed perfectly. And I didn't design this. I just studied it. It's not up to me. So when you put that in your mouth, if you're chewing your food properly, then you are getting all of the information putting it in your brain, your brain is preparing your stomach for that food to come. Your digestion is starting in your mouth by coating your food with salivary amylase, which is an enzyme. It's already starting to break down by the time it gets to your stomach. One of the challenges that we're doing is that we are asking our stomach to do far more of the job than it's actually meant to do because nobody chews their food. They just swallow it whole or it's, oh, it's a, it's an apple, one bite, two bite, three bite swallow. You know, well, so Done. We didn't, we didn't get enough time. We didn't get enough time to actually prepare. Right. And so then you're asking the stomach to do more than it's actually supposed to do. Your food should be completely coated and masticated by your teeth, coated in the enzyme and completely chewed by the time you swallow it. So already we're asking our stomach to do way more than it's actually designed for. Interesting. And we're on step two. Yep. <laughs> I feel like so, that was on my test. It was like, or one of the things you said to me, you're like, you need to chew more. Like, like but we're just so hungry. I'm starving. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just inhaling. And like my, I was just saying, when you were talking, I was like, my, my 10 year old Sawyer, love him to pieces, but God, he will finish his entire meal before we all sit down to eat. Mm -hmm. He's already wanting more. I'm like, did you chew? Yeah. Did you even chew? Mm -hmm. and that is, I mean, he eats like my dog. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, boys tend to. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So uh, first step, everybody chew longer. I've read somewhere, I swear it was like, you know, with all these different things, like chew each thing for like 20, 20 chews or something. What would it, I mean, you know, what would you suggest? Yeah, and, yeah and it's, it's, like it's 15 to 20. Okay. So it's, it's mindful eating too. It yeah. really is just like being mindful with what mm -hmm. you're eating and absorbing what, you know, really paying attention to it. One of the books that I found that I read a long time ago, how Fr uh, French women don't get fat. I think yeah. that was the book and it was, it was a very interesting, fascinating book, but it is just like where you, you actually, they sit down, they enjoy yes. the food, they eat smaller portions, but they're chewing and, uh, and appreciating each bite. And, and I know you know, I'm snacking while I'm trying to find my snack. Okay. So <laughs> I got to get away from that. <laughs> right. And your cortisol, but your cortisol is pumping that whole time when right. you're in France or Italy and you sit down, you're going to wait. I mean, have you been to Italy? You will wait. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, where is the waitress? Is the, what's going on? Why can't, where is the waitress? And my girlfriend's like, she's coming, but she lives there. She's lived there 20 <laughs> years, right? right? So she's very patient. 
Yeah. And she's like, just have some water. Yeah. Actually, have some wine. It's fine, right? Just wait because no one's in a hurry. And and we eat on the run constantly. Also, when you're eating on the run, your hydrochloric acid is not going to express itself at its fullest potential because yep. you are releasing cortisol while you're trying to eat. Yeah. And so if you sit down and if you actually take a half an hour, literally just a half an hour, or even say 15 minutes out of your day to do nothing but sit and eat your apple and peanut butter and chew it and not try to be on your phone or not try to be on your computer and not try to be searching for a soccer sock because you can only find one soccer sock <laughs> and, and, and there's a game tonight. You need the batching ones, right? And not try to do that while you're eating. You will not only digest your food more effectively, but you will be satiated. You won't yeah. be as hungry because if you're wolfing down food and you can't digest it, then you cannot absorb it and you cannot assimilate it. Then your body is literally just passing it through and you didn't get the nutrients from it anyway. I, I would challenge every one of our listeners to try yeah. do do mindful eating, turn everything off, you know, sit and look at your food, taste it, think about how it tastes, chew it, like she said, 15 to 20 times before you swallow and like savor it because what you'll find, and, and I learned this when I went through, a, uh, I had a digestive issues. We've talked about this on the podcast before, which I do not have now, but the first thing that my functional medicine doctor told me to do, she was, let's, let's, let's slow your life down and let's practice mindful eating. It was like the first thing I did. What I found was I ate less. I was satisfied more quickly and I actually enjoyed my meal. I mean, I think we're not even realizing we're not enjoying things when we're shoving it down to move to the next thing or we're watching television or on our phones or answering emails or whatever it is. If we just trying that alone was a game changer for me, something that simple. So, yeah. yeah. And it makes a huge difference long-term in your digestion as well. So the next thing down is your stomach. That's where the hydrochloric acid comes in to help with the digestion and the breakdown. The hydrochloric acid also protects against invading organisms. It's acid. It's tough to live through that, okay? So if you don't have enough hydrochloric acid in your stomach and you're eating food that's grown in this country, then you are not able to kill off any of the infectious organisms, bacteria, yeast, um, parasites that you're going to get on your food. Okay, and then people who are on proton pump inhibitors or medications that are supposed to turn this hydrochloric acid down or off, they're more at risk of the invaders, right? And they're more at 100%. risk. 100%. In fact, they're, they're I, I don't even know if you would call them at risk. I would call it almost a guarantee. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so serious. And so many of you listeners are on Zantac, you're on uh, a proton pump inhibitor, something for acid reflux. And you think mm -hmm. I'm older, um, you know, this is just part of life now. No, it is not. Now, I, I, I'm not a doctor and I'm telling you right now, no, it's not. So many of us just accept certain things as being part of aging, but that is not the way your body's designed. And so much, so much of it is as being caused by environmental aggressors or lifestyle choices um, that you can, you can, you can remedy. And I did it. Um, and that's why I, I can't believe the number of doctors who told me I just may need to stay on, you know, GERD medicine the rest of my life. And I was yeah. like, that mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. What I don't, I, I said, don't I, I thought I learned in school that your digestive system is like your front line of your defense, like for mm -hmm. your, uh, for your immune system. I'm like, turning that off seems like that puts me at risk of other things. And they right. were like, well, 
I mean, you know, I mean, no answers. Nope. Right. <laughs> no answers. You're never going to get an answer because they're that that's not part of their um, menu. There's right, no right. specific answer to that. The uh, I think the other thing is is that if you look at those boxes, one Omeprazole, Nexium, Prilosec. I mean, we could go on for days. All of them say it's not safe to take them over two weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. All of them have that written right on the outside. And so, you know, uh, we we help patients get off of that all the time. Um, we help pay, I, people who have been on it 17, 22 years. Like we can just, we help fix their digestion so they don't need it any longer. Um, it's it's not a forever thing. And it's really not good for you in any way. And there are other long-term effects like demineralization of your bones, that kind of thing. If you take it long-term, which, you know, no one tells you about when they hand it to you the first time. So let's move to the small intestine. The small intestine is where you're going to actually absorb most of your nutrients. Okay, the small intestine is wildly long, tennis courts long, right? And so you get a lot of opportunity to absorb a lot of your nutrients in there. If you are not actually taking care of chewing enough and making sure you're digesting and breaking it down enough, you will end up with something called SIBO or CFO. SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and CFO is small intestinal fungal overgrowth. So it just depends on which type of agent you have growing in your small intestine. Um, the last place is actually the large intestine and colon. And that's where we want the microbiome to thrive. That's the residence for healthy bacteria. That's where we get the final separation of water and waste, okay? And that's where you get a lot of beautiful things happening if you have a good microbiome and a lot of tragic things happening if you have a struggling microbiome, okay? That was just normal digestion. Okay, um, so I wanna talk about um, five big presenting symptoms that people have when, when I think I need to do a gut test on someone. Uh, they come in and they are overweight. They are fatigued, they are depressed, they have actual GI symptoms, right? Or female hormone imbalances. And you wouldn't necessarily put that one with the gut test all the time, but I do because the hormones are all cleared through your gut and every hormone that we have has to go through your liver. And your liver is part of that system. And that's something that I think women need to really pay attention to, especially I know a lot of our listeners are of the age where you're starting to feel some hormone changes, perhaps, and, and recognizing instead of just, again, saying, I'm just getting older, this is just the way it is, to recognize that your diet and your mm -hmm. lifestyle are impacting your hormones as well. Yes. And so while things are designed to kind of adjust and shift as we move past the childbearing age, does not mean you have to feel... Uh, tired, depressed, overweight, or all the other things that she just mentioned, you don't. And there are right. things. You can do. So will you tell us like, what is it that you, I know these are the things that you say I need to test for the gut health, but you know, what are the things that you're looking for to help them get normalized again? Um, what are the things I'm looking for on the test? Yeah. Yeah. Like oh, when, you, when they come fantastic. in like this. Yep. Yeah. I am looking for imbalanced and normal bacteria. I'm looking for poor digestive organ function, and I'm looking for markers of parasites, bacteria, and yeast. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of 
that's one thing I've learned a whole lot more about our parasites. I kept hearing people talking about parasites. You remember Laura, our friend, she was like that years ago, she was like, y'all need to do a parasite cleanse. And I was like, no, I don't. Oh, parasites, yes, remember? Yes, I, I think I'm all, we, I'm we bought, yeah. And I, but I'd never really looked into it because I was like, Shh. we're like, I don't have a parasite. Yeah, I haven't yeah, been yeah. anywhere that I should get a parasite. Now I realize they're everywhere. They're, they're in, in our water. water. <laughs> and if you don't think you've got them, check again. Yep. <laughs> or check, 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 check one. Just, you might want to check. I'm checking. That's right. They're in our water. They're everywhere. And, and, you know, I mean, I think it used to be more of a, oh, if you travel to Bali, if you travel to Thailand, if you travel to Costa Rica or Panama, you're going to get it. Um, and you very likely will for, you know, in one of those places. But I mean, we live at the end of the Cape Fear River. There's nothing clean about our water. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Right. Also, the so, parasites, like they hold on to everything, right? That's how oh, they're very infiltrative and they have a real attitude. Like they are, they're super, they're super, they have a lot of game. They've got a lot of flair. They have a lot of tricks, <laughs> right? They're and they not don't want to die. They do not. Yeah, and they're not easy to get rid of and they multiply like little rabbits. And Mm. so you really have to be tricky. And, and, you know, sometimes protocols will take a little bit longer than patients would like because of that. It can be pretty tough. So what in general, when, if, if someone's diagnosed with a parasite, what are, what is the typical treatments that you might, you might um, administer to get rid of them? Um, So so yeah, it, so there are specific um, supplements that I use. I don't use any pharmaceuticals. You can use pharmaceuticals. Metronidazole is the most common one for parasite treatment. Um, and sometimes, depending on how sick you are and how quickly you need that to go away, um, I will recommend that they get that from their MD for sure. Um, I did that recently for a soldier who was being deployed. And I was like, well, you don't have time. We don't, we don't have time to do this. You need to get it gone and you're going to take this and you'll take it for 10 to 14 days and you'll be pretty good. Um, that's not saying he's not going to get one where he goes to, but sure. that being what it is, it made him feel a lot better. So when we're dealing with parasites, um, we, we always try to eradicate those first. Say on a, on a gut test, I find parasite bacteria and yeast. The parasites are the most infiltrative. And so we, we do eradicate those first. What we use for that is a lot of different supplements, but typically it's going to be some sort of combination of artemisia, wormwood, berberine, um, oil of oregano. It's pretty strong. It it tastes not the best. And so you just kind of get it down. Yeah. Um, and you kill them throughout the day and then you kill them uh, last thing at night. Parasites are most active at night. And so oftentimes with kids, they this is kind of gross, but I hope you guys are ready with kids. They will say that their, that their rear end is itching at night. And that is because parasites are most active at night when you are at rest. So the timing of the supplements that you're going to have to take and the nutraceuticals is very important depending on the type of infection that you have. And I'm, I'm very specific on my instruction sheets on when you're going to take it. Is it with food or without food and how do you, and how you stay on that? in order to make sure that you can eradicate it in the amount of time that we expect. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let me talk about the treatments for each, each stage. There are kinds of three different stages of gut dysfunction. Stage one, um, you know, is just like a, a kind of an imbalanced microbiome. Like maybe that's all you have is an imbalanced microbiome. 
And if that is truly what you have, then we would use like prebiotics, probiotics, some um, fiber, a prebiotic inulin or a polyprebiotic fiber, as well as polyphenols. Polyphenols are fruits and vegetables, herbs, spices, teas, dark chocolate, and resveratrol that is in red wine. Lucky for some of us. Yeah. The lifestyle factors, right, are that you really want to eat well. You really want to, you really want to actually clean up the diet and be eating a very balanced diet for you, whatever that means. And that's different for everyone. But I will say it's going to be mostly whole foods that exist in nature. If it comes in a box or a plastic container and it has a barcode on it, think twice or keep it to a minimum. Make that 10% of your food, not 70% of your food. And you're going to be in better shape. Mm -hmm. um, stage two, which has to do more with the stomach, right? If you have organ dysfunction. So going back to the stomach, the pancreas, the gallbladder, like what we were talking about. If you have dysfunction there, oftentimes what we're going to do is support those things. We use digestive enzymes to help support the pancreas while we're actually decreasing the cortisol, right? Increasing the thyroid hormone, trying to balance that burden so that your organs can recover. They want to work properly. They want to work at 100%. There are things that you're doing in your life that have to be changed and have to be altered on a permanent basis if you want to have a different result every day, right? Functional medicine is lifestyle medicine. So the supplements are a piece of what we do, but long-term, we want to give you agency and a sustainable plan to actually manage this on your own. We're not looking to keep you dependent on us forever. If we do that, we're no better than a Band-Aid, right? So that's not, that's not our goal. Our goal is to create agency, help you get through a rough patch, put you on an optimization track, and then say, okay, we'll see you in six months or a year. Let me know if you need anything before that. And yes. we're good. That, that's the goal, right? right? Yet I get patients back all the time who say, what about this? Now, what about this? Now my husband's got this or, you know, something like that after we've gone through a treatment because, because it's not a hard sell and it's not, you'll just take this forever. And this is just how it's going to be. And don't ask me any questions because I'm not accepting questions. Like that's just a, I just don't think it's great medicine, honestly. Um, and it certainly is a rude way and certainly not kind way to treat someone who's trying to empower themselves by getting more knowledge. That's right. Right. We all had more knowledge. We could all raise that level of conversation in our country, in our culture, in our societies up, up, up constantly if we're all willing to participate. And I feel like a lot of times people get the door closed on them um, when they're asking when they're asking those types of questions. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and we would say the three of us would say, if you have a doctor who treats you that way, it's not your doctor. Your yep. doctor should be your partner, not your boss. Your yep. doctor sits in partnership with you on your health journey, not as the boss and dictator. Um, yeah. So if you're treated that way, that's not your doctor. Yeah. 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 Okay. So in stage two, we would use enzymes. We might use gallbladder support. We might use something that's going to push bile through the pancreas or just actually have you take bile if, you're, if your gallbladder is not working. We will give some leaky gut repair and um, some protective agents to actually kind of line the small and large intestine because we know that you're not digesting properly. So while we're trying to fix the digestion in the organs and in the stomach, we want to protect the rest of the GI tract so that we stop doing damage. 
Um, and the and the lifestyle factors for that are chewing, preparing your meals at home, taking a break and sitting down and saying, I'm actually worth 20 minutes. I'm going to sit here for 20 minutes. I'm going to watch an aquarium. I'm going to watch fish swim and I'm going to eat. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to do. That's that's all I'm going to do. And, you know, liquids are here's another thing about the organs. Liquids are for before meals and after meals. If you're drinking anything with a meal, you should really just be sipping it because every liquid that you're drinking with a meal is simply diluting mm. your hydrochloric acid, your stomach acid, which is so important. So you want to be drinking all throughout the day, but you don't want to be drinking a large amount of anything with your meal. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And then stage three would be the infective stage, right? So that's where we would go onto some sort of a regimen for antiparasitic, antibacterial, anti-yeast, et cetera, something like that, nutraceuticals or herbals to actually eradicate those infections. While we do that, oftentimes we do an elimination diet as well, or we will do a gluten-free diet, or we will do the GAPS diet, or we will, there's a lot of different diets that we'll work on. I find that most women in America don't eat enough think they eat enough, don't eat enough, and don't eat frequently enough. Or they're doing intermittent fasting, but not even on purpose because they're keeping a ridiculous schedule. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the whole thing with it. I felt, I feel like I, I don't think I was eating. That was something that I had to change. I don't think I was yep. eating enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm almost like, oh, you know, like I think, um, Alyssa, who's in your office, who's like, does nutrition and she's like you need to be eating within 45 minutes of waking up and that was like say what <laughs> I'm like well that I wanted to touch on this because what I remember with with Amy too and I think this is a maybe misconception where people need to know is drinking coffee first thing like if you love coffee and supposedly that is the worst thing you could do is having just coffee on, the, on an empty stomach mm -hmm. is that yeah. correct I mean I know we need this is going off but it's, no, it's fine. Kind of like, yeah. I do feel like some people think, oh, I'm going to do this intermittent fasting or I'm going to do true. fasting because you hear it's so good for you. But then I've, you know, there's also some like people it's not hormones. good for you. It's bad for your hormones. So you're like, and then I, I saw someone on Oprah saying that you need to have protein within 45 minutes of waking up. I mean, I remember that yeah. too. And now, the, so yeah, so there's so many different things, but yeah. Can you even touch on the coffee? Cause I'm sure a lot of people drink coffee. <laughs> yes. So, and, and the reason they're drinking coffee kind of goes go with intermittent fasting. Like that was a really big thing. I just want to say that most of the studies that were done on intermittent fasting were done on men or um, women who are postmenopausal. So I don't really ever recommend intermittent fasting for women who are menstruating. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's really, it has an effect on the hormones that is quite literally very easy to track. If you're tracking your cycle at all, it's very easy to track the effect that intermittent fasting has on your hormones. Oh, wow. Back to the coffee, right? Because I don't want to get too far off of that. Having coffee first thing in the morning on an empty stomach is absolutely not ideal. Now, people train themselves to do it and they're like, well, I don't have a problem with it. Well, right, but I'm not sure if most people walk in here and know the type of testing they're going to get and what kind of problems they really have. They don't feel a problem from it is an accurate statement. I don't have a problem with it is probably inaccurate. 
And so having coffee first thing, and, and I'm not a fan of that. I like lemon water first thing. I like just plain water first thing. I drink amino acids in my water. I drink um, electrolytes in my water. I drink a huge, I have a bottle of water, a glass of water sitting on my sink at night. So that when I walk out of bed into my bathroom, I literally drink that water first thing in the morning before I like brush my teeth, get in the shower, anything like that you literally need to rehydrate for first thing because you have been not drinking anything all that time. Then you need to eat. Then you can have your coffee. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And eating protein and fat together is really important in the morning. Eating anything that resembles sugar is setting your day up for failure and setting your children up for failure and setting your life and your family and everyone up for failure. Because if you're going to drink orange juice and have waffles or cereal, in the morning and then wonder why your brain is scattered and why you can't remember why you walked in a room and why you forgot your purse at Starbucks. It's yeah. really not rocket science. The fact is you are spiking, you're going straight from fasting into a huge spike of blood sugar. And mm -hmm. then that is going to only result in this right back down again. And so you're, it's like a manic type of, pro, of I guess it's, I guess it's a manic presentation really. Whereas I had said earlier to Holly, everything's about balance. If you eat protein and fat first thing in the morning, and then you decide to have a bunch of grapes at 1030, you're pretty fine because you've already had protein and fat. So your body's going to handle that glucose spike pretty easily. Right. Yeah. That yeah. So you, more, that's the other thing we can all do. Become more mindful of sugar. It's just... Yes. Yeah. it's such an inflammatory thing as it is, but just even, you know, like she's saying, if you have the fats and proteins, let's stop demonizing fats, right? We're not in 1990s anymore. Fats, mm -hmm. <laughs> some fats get really good. This fat and protein uh, idea that you're having that before mm -hmm. you go and have perhaps the fruit, mm -hmm. you might feel more regular and not like you're feeling those spikes from the sugar highs, I guess, that right. you come down from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, all day long. In fact, that's how you should be eating and you should be eating greens, you know, and you should be eating protein and you should be eating good fats and you don't really need sugar. You don't really need a whole lot of grains in your diet. It's not that important. Mm -hmm. Um, especially at the beginning of a process when people are relearning how to eat, because, um, as anyone with kids knows, sometimes convenience wins out and it takes a lot of time to go home and make dinner every night. And it takes a lot of time to make breakfast for your kids every morning. And a lot of people, and I work for myself, I'm really fortunate. I get to make those choices. I start my day whenever I want to. I always have, right? Yeah. I don't have anyone else telling me what time to get to work. I tell myself what time to get to work. That has worked out great for me and for my family. But sometimes at night, you know, if I work late, if I stay late because of a patient or I just need to finish some notes, we're not eating dinner till eight. Oh, yeah. That's eight o'clock. <laughs> Right. And that's not ideal, but, but I'm not going to just, we're also not going to drive. We don't drive through. There's, I mean, there's, I've never been to Chick-fil-A. I've never been to Bojangles. I, I hear that people like it. It's probably not a good thing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> never. I haven't had Bojangles in, I can't even tell you the last time. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. But I, I love it. That oh, was, ooh, yes. Good old I've heard good things about their biscuits. <laughs> I hear their biscuits are amazing at Bojangles. That's what people tell me. And so I'm avoiding it like the plague so that I never know. That yeah. I just figure the less I, because once you taste it, you know, I imagine it to be like crack. I don't know. I yeah. Don't know why people talk about it. 
<laughs> yeah. if, for all of our listeners that are outside the Southeast, maybe of the United States, and there's not Bojangles is chicken and biscuits, fried chicken and biscuits, and very, very traditionally Southern food, but fast food. And um, yeah, it is. it should not be in a, in a recommended on your health journey. No, no, no. It was basically hangover food in college. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm like, it's a really good hangover food. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. So I just want to go back to the pathogen situation because yes. we're yes. going to move on to leaky gut. So with the pathogens, when I get those results, right, I have to then determine what are we going to treat first, right? We're going to always treat, a, we're always going to treat a parasite first, then we're going to treat yeast, then we're going to treat bacteria, then we're going to treat anything that's left over. And when I say anything that's left over, it's because we retest. We have to retest to see if we got it all. And sometimes we've got it all and sometimes more comes or sometimes something different shows up. And that's because you can have long-term pathogens that will re rear its ugly head if it's partying, if you're super stressed out. If you're studying for the bar, you're more likely to have a mono flare up from the mono that you had in high school, you could become completely symptomatic. That's an example of a virus recurring in your body. The chicken pox virus will recur as shingles as you get older, right? Under times of duress, these enteric pathogens in your gut are no different. They can be sleeping, they can be happy, they can be living symbiotically with you and you don't notice very much, right? You don't notice, you think it's normal. So let's just talk for one second about bowel movements. Some people think going to the bathroom and having a bowel movement every other day is normal. That is not normal. That is common. That is not normal, mm -hmm. right? Some people think it's fine to go twice a week. Okay, that's even less normal, right? So you should be having literally every time you eat within approximately one to three hours, you should be having a bowel movement. If you aren't, you either have a very slow metabolism for some reason, and there's some sort of dysfunction in there, or you're literally not eating enough. Mm. Or you're not eating protein, fat, and fiber at each meal. If you're eating protein, fat, and fiber at each meal, it's actually going to process down correctly almost every time. Not every, every, every time, but almost every time. If all of your organs are actually working properly too, and you're getting the bile and you're getting the digestive enzymes, you would be getting all of that together. Your bowel movement should be happening on a regular schedule, not like, well, I don't know when I'm gonna go. I hear that all the time. How often do you go? Pretty much every day, I go normally. That means something different to everyone as it turns out. There is a poop scale so that you can see how normal your poops are, actually. It's called the Bristol scale. It's a scale one through six, and it kind of goes from diarrhea, right, which is not formed and very flaky and kind of all in water, all the way down to like rabbit pellets, where <laughs> neither one of those are good, right? We want to be in the middle. Again, the moderation comes into play. So if people aren't eliminating on a regular basis, then they are sitting in their own toxins. Mm. Well that's going to be a problem because that's going to cause our next subject, leaky gut. Okay. Okay. So if you have a breakdown of your intestinal lining and the subsequent leaking of the particles that are being stored in that intestinal lining into your interstitial fluid, substances, bloodstream, et cetera, that is what a leaky gut is. Okay. Imagine if you have, if you're sitting in your toxins, say you're a woman who only poops or a man who only poops every three days, twice a week, 
twice a week, you have one bowel movement and that's it. Well, these people have got chronic health conditions. They are asking for autoimmunity. They are asking for arthritis. They are asking for vascular disease. They are asking any sort of anything that starts with itis because it's inflammatory, right? If your immune system is sitting in your gut, which we all know it is, it's sitting right in there. And then you've got all of these toxins loading it down and loading it down and you keep eating because you're hungry. You keep eating. It's not going anywhere. It's just getting impacted and impacted and impacted even more so. Imagine what that might be doing as it's leaking into your bloodstream. It's fairly tragic and horrifying. And so what we really want to do is focus on proper elimination. That's a huge part of actually digesting your food. If you can't eliminate, then you didn't digest it properly to begin with. Mm. Right. right? There's so many steps to this. So the leaky gut is caused, so it's this intestinal permeability. So if the membrane is like this, what it's doing is it's creating like these little, like it should be fitting together like this. And what happens is these guys start to separate a little bit. And these tight junctions, all of a sudden at the end, you've only got three. And these guys should all be touching right here, right? So mm -hmm. things are really going to seep through there. Now, you could get some good things seeping through there, like triglycerides are going to seep through there. They're supposed to, but they're going to work. They're going to seep through if it's nice and tight, too, because they're designed to seep through there. So you can get toxins that are going to seep through there. You can get heavy metals that are going to seep through there. You can get environmental pollutants. You can get... Uh, things that you absorb from sunscreen or makeup or shampoo that are going to sit in there, right? Anything that has to go through your liver has to actually exit through the large intestine. You can also get, here's my favorite one, undigested food particles. So if you have not, say that you ate a carrot yesterday and you didn't chew it quite as well as you should have because it's a carrot and you'd have to chew a carrot a long time. Um, and so then you swallow it, right? And it's going down and it's doing its thing and it gets into the large intestine and it's like, oh my God, there's a lot of traffic in here. We're backed up, right? And so it's kind of just like waiting. Like it's, it has to wait its turn. It can't cut in line. You can't go from the beginning of the small intestine all the way to the colon just because you want to. You have to wait in line. You're going to go in order. And so it's making its way slowly. But what can happen is you have these villi. Can you see my fingers? There we go. You have these intestinal villi and they look like this and they look like this. And they're pushing with peristalsis. They're pushing your toxins to make you have the urge to have a bowel movement. Well, if you have a lot of toxins built up in there, it looks nothing like this. It looks like this. That's what's because you're paralyzing the peristaltic activity with toxins. So now that carrot keep in mind of our carrot, we're tracking it, it's gonna get stuck right in here. And that's what we call an intestinal crypt in the gut. And that is not gonna be this, we'll never get that out. This might get it out, right? That really active peristalsis might really get it out, but this tragic peristalsis will never get it out. And so it is going to rot and then it is going to start to release acid and then it is going to develop a hole right below it. And it is going to start to leak into your interstitial fluids in your bloodstream. Mm. That carrot that is good for you, you're eating good food, right? That carrot then has the ability to develop into a food sensitivity 
because the next time you eat a carrot, your body is smart and it remembers what happened. And it says, why? Would you remember what happened with the last carrot? Why would you eat a carrot? Do you know what it did to us last time? Mm -hmm. And then you can develop a food sensitivity, not an allergy, but a sensitivity due to that being the factor that led to that specific injury in your large intestine seeping down, creating that hole in your gut. Wow. Wow. That is crazy. Let's talk about that for a little bit. (laughs) Wow. Because people do say I'm allergic to, I have a sensitivity towards, you know, obviously we know Mm -hmm. that's the thing, Mm -hmm. Um, but you're saying that, that sometimes it's the body remembers. Yeah. Yeah. Muscle memory and cell memory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think like normal digestion, you know, I mean, I never knew, you know, I think I've talked to you about it. I'm like, so I should never feel bloated. I should never feel like I need to burp. I should never hear my stomach make noise after I eat, you know, and you're like, no. And I'm like, Ooh, I've been doing this wrong. I mean, you just, you just kind of go along with life and you don't realize that like these things aren't normal. And like, you know, I mean, goals to poop an hour after every meal would be amazing. Um, you know, I know that if y'all heard my, what the hell, I, my goal was once a week. Yeah. You, and she now, was there. But now I'm better, much yeah, better, better now that I'm like doing the right thing after, yeah. after they did everything wrong with me. Well, it affects my mental. If I, if I oh, can't yeah. go to the bathroom. When you're I, full of poop. Yes. I, I'm like, I start going crazy mentally. Mm-hmm, well, yeah. Well, and can, can, cause I know we're going to have to wrap it up here in just a few minutes, but the, can we talk about that? Cause I know in Kristen's situation, birth control because of not having a period as a teenager they put her on birth control and then subsequently Kristen began to have digestive and poop can I say that I already had like I mean I already had digestive issues they thought it was irritable bowel they they tested me for all kinds of stuff they did everything wrong they even put me on I burped all the time you know I mean I would go through periods of not literally I was like oh my god are my eyes turning brown you know like I felt like I was backed up I didn't want to eat like it was horrible I mean it was through middle school high school um but you know what I also looking back my gut was destroyed because I always had strep throat I got antibiotics all the time you know like so it's like when you start really thinking of the whole you know the whole story story, you're just like I know what happened like they just killed everything and they kept killing it you know, and, and then I would do everything wrong. I would eat like the, the breads and the, you know, because I, you know, because once you would, I would go and then you'd have like the blowout and then you're like, oh, well now my stomach hurts. So I would take stuff to poop, then I'm pooping too much. And then you're wanting to just eat the toast and all the breads and all this stuff, you know, it was just, it was a disaster. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry that happened to you. It, it, unfortunately, it's, like it's a really common. Figured out. <laughs> yeah, it's a really common occurrence that that is that that is people's stories, and I think that there. Are, so two things, and I think that Holly wanted to touch on is the hormones mm-hmm. are are given out like candy to teenage girls, um, which is it's an ethical issue in my view. Um, the second thing is teenagers don't eat well. None of them do. I mean, even my kids in our house, we eat very well, but they have cars, they have money. And that's, yeah. and, and I resemble that remark when, when I had a car and money in high school, I was not eating well either. I have not always been this person. It took me a while to become this person. And so I'm not going to sit in judgment with them. I leave it up to them and I model good behavior and I give them options and I give them, you know, education about it. 
And so they certainly make a lot better choices than a lot of their friends do, which that's what I can hope for when you have teenage boys and their diets, right? Mm -hmm. Here's what I want to talk about, though, regarding what Kristen was saying. The overuse of antibiotics is criminal in our culture, Mm -hmm. Um, and they give it for every single thing, and they give it willy-nilly, and oftentimes they don't even culture what they're giving it for right? They typically will culture strep throat, but they don't culture UTIs. They don't culture gut infections. They don't culture a lot of different things. And so they're giving very broad spectrum antibiotics. Well, the broad spectrum antibiotics are not only going to kill whatever is bad, but it's also going to kill whatever is good. If it's a targeted antibiotic, which I think are far more effective. And if I ever need one, that's what I ask for. I want to be tested, right? Because they're not all bad. We need them. There are times when we need them. If we have pneumonia, we're going to want that antibiotic and it's okay to take it, but you shouldn't really need an antibiotic more than like once every seven to 12 years, right? What are we doing that we need so many antibiotics? Why are we constantly sick if we're taking good care of ourselves? And I think that's what it comes down to is that the media is not in charge of how we take care of ourselves, but they sure are in competition for it. Boy, there's a lot of money in that, right? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of money in that. And what I do, you can't actually, you can't, you can't copyright it and you can't patent it because the things exist in nature and it's just learning and understanding and then creating education and creating a population of people who care and want to care for themselves and want to care for their families and their neighbors and their friends in a different way, right? And take away from the power of the medical decision makers who are quashing our ability to actually thrive because that's kind of what it feels like. Sometimes people start to get good and then they'll say to me, it all started when I had to take three different antibiotics back to back to back. That's when all this started. And now it's been two years and I have diarrhea every day and I've had diarrhea for two years. Can you imagine having diarrhea for two years? No, no. No. I have so many patients who come in with that or like Kristen, who or I prayed pooping. for it when I was full of shit, like, you know, for yes, who are, like, oh, who are only pooping once a week. <laughs> and, and I will say that culturally, I'm from California, um, and I never met so many patients who didn't poop on a regular basis until I moved to the South. Mm. And so, and I don't know why that is, but I have two theories. One, there's not a lot of chicken and biscuits in California. Right. You know, what we eat is we eat a lot of Mexican food and, and yep. it's amazing. And it's the best. Yes, it is amazing. Right. <laughs> except for Mexican food, but it doesn't make you constipated. Right. Nope. So if you put a biscuit down your sink, it could clog it up. So just think right. about what that does to you. You're gut, right. right. That's yep. a really good point. You put a biscuit down your sink, you could clog it up. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a little, yeah, it's kind of cultural in that way, as far as like fried chicken and biscuits and that type of thing. We don't eat that. Like I never had that as a child, but there's not even restaurants in California that are serving like chicken and biscuits, not in my hometown, not, and I'm not from the sticks. Right. So I think that's part of it. Right. But there's a Mexican restaurant on every corner. Um, And then the other thing is that I found, and this is just through my experience in my practice, I don't have any data on this. But there is a definitely unladylike scenario about pooping that mm. has followed some women through life, their mothers. And so then their mothers have put it on them. And I have more than one patient who literally, when they had to poop and were at school, would call their mother to be picked up to go home 
to have a bowel movement and then take the rest of the day off. Well, that's yeah. not that's not helping. Yeah. Any sort of regular the kids will hold it. They won't kids, go. They won't go at go school. school. My kids would hold it and they would they like run in the door. First, they run to the bathroom. <laughs> run in the door to poop after school. Yeah. They because they were like, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to yeah. school. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It, that is probably well, I, I probably didn't want to either, but now now that I'm older, I'm like, I tell them like if you gotta go. I said, here's what you do. You go in there, you flush the toilet. You yeah. gotta put the toilet You're like, it's if red. It, <laughs> well, if they're worried about smell, um, isn't smell kind of also associated with yeah, diet? Yeah. Like that if you're if everything if gut health is good, smell yeah. of your food should not be bad. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. I mean, I think there's so there's always gonna be a little bit of an odor coming out, but it's not gonna be, it's not gonna clear a room. Yeah, when if you're clear in the room, stuff is not right. Stuff is not right. right. <laughs> Need some attention. Yeah. yeah, that's that's correct. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I want to go back to one thing that Amy said. She mentioned it, I don't know, maybe five or six minutes ago, but that was it affects her brain. You know, mm. she doesn't eliminate on a regular basis, she gets brain fog. And so that's really common. It's very, very common to have that foggy headed feeling and then feel better. Some people get not only the foggy headedness, they get the headache, they get the irritability, they get that fatigue or like kind of almost like pain sitting kind of in that like upper neck or lower neck, upper back area, they'll get some of that. And then as soon as they actually eliminate, it's relieved, okay? Mm. So that's very, very common when you're sitting in your own toxins. Some of the other things that are gonna happen if and, and are signs of leaky gut, in specifically are um, nasal congestion, mm. um, unstable blood sugar, unstable blood sugar, up and down, up and down, up and down. Inability to actually heal your adrenal glands because some people, you know, when you come in and I talk to you about all the things that are going on, if we run a lot of tests, there's an order of operations that we have to go in. I don't start always with the gut. I have to start with your adrenal glands and make sure that you can handle what we're going to do, right? Some people say, I don't want to do that. I just want to do this. Well, that's the wrong order of operations. And they're not going to get long-term lasting, sustainable results because they're not dealing with their cortisol. And if you don't deal with your cortisol, you're going to, you're going to stay on this gut health thing for a long time because it's never going to be sustainable. You'll get somewhat better. It's kind of like taking probiotics. Everyone takes probiotics because they think that's great for you. Maybe, maybe. Not if you have a bacterial overgrowth, you're just adding more bacteria. You're creating more problem. Yeah. It can make you more bloated, Amy, right? I'll just take probiotics and they're a good brand, right? And they probably are. But yeah. how does that make you feel? Does it make you feel better? Or do you feel mostly the same and you still end up in my office, right? So you really have to consider, the, and it can be a really good brand, yeah. but it doesn't mean it's right for you. Right. I have a lot of things that I carry in my office that I don't take because I don't need. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it goes back to that individualized medicine program that is based on where you are and what you need to get back yeah. to, you know, optimal health. And right. I think if there's any takeaways from this, what I hope our listeners are taking today is so much of your health is within your control, within your control. And it starts in the gut and that's what mm -hmm. you're eating and how you're eating. 
and yeah. when you're eating and those kinds of things. Um, but I think too, if you're looking for help, if you know something's not right, I burp a lot, I have acid reflux. Please, if you have acid reflux, I will never encourage anyone to go to a traditional doctor on acid <laughs> reflux. But if you can find you a functional medicine doctor, and this is just my opinion, go there. Because what you don't want to do is disrupt the hydrochloric acid. You, you don't, you, right. really, you really don't. And we want you all to be able to live healthfully and for, as, as, as she was just sharing, we want your mind to be clear. We don't want you to be tired all the time. That's mm -hmm. being tired all the time is actually not normal. Common, but not normal. <laughs> so, That's right. And it's so important to know the difference between those two, because people take it as, well, it's so common that it becomes normal and it's yeah. not, no, it's right. not. And I want to just say, and I know we have to finish, but I have a, one thing that I want to say, because it's really important going back to what we started talking about the stress. There are three stages of adrenal fatigue. When I test, I find that the people who are in stage one might have a minor gut issue. The people who are in stage two have some organ involvement. Usually the people who are closer to two and a half to three are usually going to have more than one infective agent. So the worse your adrenal health is, the worse your gut health is. And there is no, there, I mean, it's a direct correlation. It's absolutely right there. Yeah. So stress being one of the disruptors of the gut, even if you're trying to do all the other things, right? That the stress alone. Well, it's the cortisol. Yeah. The cortisol hormone. Because if you're not regulating your cortisol and you're not regulating your emotions and you're not regulating how you're handling and yeah. reacting versus responding. You want yeah. to respond. You don't want to react. No one wants right. to be the person who's reacting to things. You want to be the person who's going to take a breath and respond and say, all right, well, I'm going to think about that and I'll get back to you in 10 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Don't let it take over. You know, yeah. if you give over the control of your cortisol, how long will it take for you to get it back? Some people don't get it back till the next day. Some people have never gotten it back. Right. Some people, some people are, are bumping their legs all day. Well, I'm talking to them under the table. They got their leg going constantly. Yes. They can't even sit still. They're in such a heightened state all the time. Yeah. I'm seeing you're saying my foot's going. My cortisol right. is long gone. My cortisol is in because she's, she's flat. Like, <laughs> yes, I mean, mine was pretty bad. I'm trying. I, mean, I, was, I was dead too. So what are the things like, just really yeah. quick, like, I know, well, first of all, if you're in Wilmington, <laughs> you should go see Dr. Hillary and let her, because like this, you know, she can recommend things all day long, but really it is an individualized situation. Like she needs to talk to you, mm -hmm. or if you're not in Wilmington, you know, I don't know if you, y'all do virtual patients or not. Like, um, I'm licensed in North and South Carolina. Okay. Mm -hmm. all right, and soon to be another state, but I'll wait till that happens. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure there's, there are functional medicine doctors where, wherever there are a lot, there are a lot that are available. I think we all do it a little bit differently. Everyone has their own style, I think, but I think what's really important is that our intentions are more, um, more community-based and more patient-oriented when you're seeking, when you're seeking help is that we really want to actually help empower you to be the best version of yourself, not to just um, keep you, you know, like a cat on a leash. Yeah, and a cat right. on a leash is really awkward, but so are people on medications because it changes them completely. Yeah. But also you guys go to the root. I think uh, my mm -hmm. experience with functional medicine is 
let's get to the, instead of playing whack-a-mole by putting you on a drug that has this side effect. So it might kill your, might make your stomach feel better, but then you're going to have headaches or, you know, like where yeah. you're just, then you're on something for headaches. Then you're on something for your acne. You know, it's like, you're just playing medical whack-a-mole. And yeah. what I would rather do, which I think is what my functional physicians in my life have done is let's get to the root. Let's try to figure out where the root cause is and then let's heal from there. And yeah. that's just a approach. Right. 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 The individual too, because, you know, you can go buy all these supplements that you see, like people, mm-hmm. people on Instagram or whatever, like, Oh, this might help my energy. This is whatever. But like she said, this, that might not be right for you. So if right. you have a doctor who can sit down and look at your testing and it is yeah. not fun to get and do the gut test. I'm going to tell y'all, <laughs> you do have to get intimate with your, with your poo. <laughs> it's, it's very humbling. However, you learn a lot about yourself and, and your body. And then, you know, your doctor can then see what's wrong with you specifically and give you the supplements that you need. Um, but if you haven't, if you're, you can't go to a doctor yet, but you just want to address your gut health or your cortisol, like what are your tips? What can people do just right now at home? Like, I know we said, chew your food. We got, we got some, chew your food. They can slow it down. They can slow it down, slow it down, be methodical, be mindful, be intentional about how you spend your time and who you spend it with. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're not letting people into your world that are irritating you and causing that cortisol spike. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really want to make sure, are you handling yourself? Well, are you able to recover from a stressful situation? Are you managing your emotions well? Are you actually showing up the way you want to show up? And if not, you need to look at that. Because if you aren't, if your mind and your body are not on the same page, then that's part of your problem. Mm. It's part of the problem. So you can slow down. That's for your cortisol. That's the best thing. Make sure you're getting sleep. Seven and a half to nine hours every single night of Mm. sleep. That's a lot of sleep. I'm a little princess when it comes to my sleep. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give it up. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to be criticized. I mean, you can criticize if you want, but I'm already in bed. So we're going to get those hours in. And also I'm not a nice person when I don't get up. So I, I'm, I don't process well. I become emotional. Um, It's just, I don't handle stress as well. I mean, if I get my hours in, man, I can, I can kick butt on a daily basis. But if I don't, don't count me out. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. yeah. Um, exercise. We didn't really talk much about exercise because it was really more gut oriented, but um, exercise is very important. Huh. The right type of exercise for what your adrenals can handle. Hit exercise is very common and very popular. It's very damaging if you have adrenal fatigue because your body can't recover. So determining how does your body feel after that? Are you just pushing it even harder? even harder, even harder, because I get people who say, okay, well, I'm eating well and I'm exercising and I still can't lose weight. That's not rocket science. It's just science. That's a hormone issue. You're not recovering from exercise and you've got gut infections. Mm. Yeah. Right. So you have to think about just things that make common sense when you're considering what can I do if I'm not able to have testing run at this time. The other thing is eating whole nutritiously dense food, right? Mm. If you find that raw vegetables are irritating to you or cause you a lot of bloating, you probably have a small intestine issue. That's probably a SIBO irritant right there. Raw Mm -hmm. veggies, your body doesn't like them if you have SIBO. It likes cooked veggies. 
right? You want to be eating protein, fat, and fiber at every single meal. You can do that without coming to see me quite right. easily, right? And see if you can make a change. See if you can move the scale on that Bristol scale for your poop. See if you can go more regularly. See if you can go twice a day on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. See if you can start your morning without coffee. Start it with lemon water or some electrolytes or something really good for you or just water, right? And wait with wait to have your coffee until after you eat your breakfast while you're on your way to work. Maybe don't eat your food in your car on the way to work. Maybe actually eat at home. Slow it down. Give your body a little bit of time. Consider how that's going, right? Yeah. Take the take the time and actually feel what you feel like when you eat, because most people don't feel what they feel like. They're right. too busy moving on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. So true. true. And then if you're having symptoms, track those and say, okay, well, I'm going to try literally eating at home breakfast for two weeks in a row, and then see how you feel through the rest of the day. Are you still getting a headache at 10 a.m.? Are you still exhausted at night? Or do you feel like you go out and walk the dog when you get home? I don't know, right? Be tracking and looking for changes. If you're going to institute some of these changes just in lifestyle that you can do by yourself, be trying to pay attention to what makes a difference to you. What, what makes you feel better or worse? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah well, and, that, and that's it. And I mean, I love what you're saying, Dr. Hillary, is what we've really learned and tried to encourage our listeners is, Listen to yourself, listen to your body, pay attention, and then take the autonomy over your own health and stop thinking someone else is going to give you the solution necessarily mm -hmm. through a pill or a, you know, start with exactly what you're saying, looking at your sleep, looking at your diet, looking at your movement every mm -hmm. day. So many mm -hmm. of us feel lousy and don't realize it's within our power to change it. Right. It is. It is. Right. And going outside. You have yeah, to get outside. Yeah. You have to see the sunshine. That's where I'm headed right as soon as we're done. I'm headed outside. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have to see the sunshine. We have to move our bodies. We have to appreciate what we have in life and having an attitude of gratitude is going to be more helpful. Also, depression, depression, anxiety is, is immediately, immediately, immediately changed as your gut health gets better. Mm. I see yep. it all the time. It's so satisfying. And it's really fun to be able to help people out of a place that they don't want to be. It's yeah. really satisfying. It's a really great career. I love doing it. Um, and I could talk all day, but I think we're probably already well past our time. <laughs> well, I think we need like a part two adrenal, yes. a part three birth control. Oh, yeah. Birth control. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. Rabbit hole that we need to go down and help people. But I think if we can start here, guys, and just as you said, you know, take from this the things that are within your control. And if you Make those changes that Dr. Hillary just suggested and you're still not seeing improvement, go find you a functional medicine doctor. If you're in Wilmington, yeah. North Carolina, that's where Dr. Hillary is, but you can find someone that will actually help you get to the root and identify root cause. Um, so that instead of saying, oh, I'm just getting older. Oh, I'm just this, I'm just that. No, so much of this is not, not a way that you should be feeling in women with your hormones. Stop saying, oh, I'm just getting to the age. Not necessarily the case. I've learned in my own experience. A lot of times it was looking at my diet, what was going in my body, how I was sleeping. It's a big part of it. So um, thank you so much, Dr. Thank Hillary. So We've got to have you back on. We appreciate you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. My pleasure.
Oh, 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 oh,